Hi, welcome to 11 Questions. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I feel like the last time we saw each other was uh, a different time in the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. So it's, it's so good to be with you again. Thank you for your consistent support of Fair Play and Unicorn Space. I love, love, I love being with you. Thank you so much. My first question is, are you a morning person or a night owl? Definitely a night owl. I am not somebody who likes sunrises. I never want to uh, wake up with an alarm. Uh, I am most productive after 11 p.m. That's kind of like me. Although my job right now is making me morning person by force. By no force. <laughs> That's it. You know what? Our circadian ryth rhythms are what they are. I don't believe that you could change your circadian rhythms because I know that even though I'm forced to get up early with my kids, I still feel the most productive in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I think my best sleep is in the morning. Same. I love the early sleeps. I like going back to bed, like that deep sleep. You know, if you see it's 7 a.m. and you can go back to sleep, that's my favorite time of the day. Yeah. And speaking of sleep and work and everything, what does work-life balance mean to you? Well, what it means to me is that women can step into their full power outside the home. Um, but that that requires uh, men to step into their full power in the home. There is literally no way around work-life balance if you don't have that. And so it reminds me of this children's book that was gifted to me when I first had my son, Zach, 13 years ago. It was called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And they go through all of these really weird uh, adventures to get to a bear. And when they go through grass or mud, the anecdote is we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. And I feel that same way here. Uh, there's no excuses. Work-life balance cannot happen by women fixing themselves. We have to include men into the care conversation. And without it, there will be no work-life balance. Love that. Your first book, Fair Play, was all about creating that space and balance for yourself. You know that. I loved it so much. And I cannot wait to read Unicorn Space. Tell me a little bit about your new book. What's new in that? Well, I think what's new is maybe when Fair Play was written, I could see that women were feeling burnout. But I now think what's new is that maybe it's recognizable to more than just us. I think the problem is no longer invisible, hopefully. We now know that women are drowning in many cases with all of their responsibilities as partners and or parents and or professionals. And so where I think we are now is a place where we now recognize a walk around the block or a uh, drink with a friend is not going to cure burnout. The only cure for burnout is really the consistent ability to be interested in our own lives. And that's what this book is about. What is your unicorn space? It's dance. Uh, it's also creating unicorn spaces for other women. It's getting to talk to people like you. Uh, it's anything that has the values of fairness and justice and community combined. But I will say that as activism has been beco become more of my career, I've become more interested in uh, the precision of an eight count of under learning choreography of relearning to turn because one of my feet does not want to turn because I have a bone spur bunion <laughs> crack toe all the things you get when you sort of see what it looks like when you dance younger without shoes 
Um, so I do regret that. And I would say don't dance barefoot people out there, but I will say <laughs> what I love about dance is it helps me with the metaphor of unicorn space, which is that it's not going to stop raining on women and we can't fix ourselves, but we can learn to dance in the rain. And so I like that that's a metaphor, but it's also my physical reality. I love that. Now you have written two books. Did you know always that you will be a writer one day? No way, not even close. Uh, I'm an expository writer because I learned expository writing from being in law school. I know how to write a brief. I know how to take a thesis sentence and back it up with data and facts, or in the case of a law brief, case law that supports your theories. But no, I did not think I would ever be writing about myself that felt very vulnerable is definitely not anything I could have envisioned, except for now, it feels like the only path because everybody who has an experience, if they can process that experience through some sort of redemptive narrative and use it, I think for others, we see that there's a lot of positive psychology in believing that your story can help others. And I do believe that. Now that you are into writing and you have two books to prove that. Did you notice the change between when you were writing the first book and the second book? Oh, yeah. I think the first book, I felt like every single thing I said had to be backed up with 25 pieces of data to support what I was saying, Um, like the opposite of our last president who would just espouse things that were completely (laughs) wrong. But I think women were taught to be, we're never taught to be loud and wrong. We're taught to be quiet and excellent. And so I will say, I'm glad that I finally let go of that project and put it out into the world. I had to remember that completion is not the same thing as perfection and that things can change. You can admit mistakes. One of the biggest changes from the fair play hardcover to the paperback is being more inclusive with pronouns to understand that I could still center the hetero cisgender problems of him and her. But also when you're playing the game, have player one and player two to make it much more inclusive for the pronouns. The work is evolving and I never would want it to be static. But I think that that understanding that completing something, meeting your moment doesn't necessarily mean it has to be perfect is something that I really want all women to know, to to complete. Unicorn space is about the cycle of what it feels like to be curious about something to connect with others around it, that curiosity, and then to complete something. So 11 questions. What I love about you is you're curious. You reach out, you're sharing yourself with the world by asking questions of a guest. And then you do the hard thing of uploading it to the world, whether or not you think you asked the perfect questions, whether your internet was perfect, like today with our (laughs) snag of internet but you still get it up there. And that completion is really, really important. That is so good to hear because I struggle with it. Some days I feel like I didn't edit it too well. I didn't sound great in the interview or like all these things come up. But yeah, I'm also like work in progress when it comes to not being a perfectionist. I love that. We're all works in progress. And I think if we can look at that, then uh, I talk about that in the book that the idea of completion, you know, this idea that you can have an imperfect series, that you can put things out into the world. Again, you know, I'm not saying to put things out in the world that aren't (laughs) scientifically accurate. That was really important to me to have a bibliography 
that did back up what I was saying with science. But what I'm also saying is that you can put something out there in the world and then recognize that you can meet your moment if it's not perfect, but that if it's perfect and you wait, you'll never meet your moment. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of being perfectionist and trying to meet the moment, how did you make that happen for the books? Like, did you have a routine that you followed? Well, during the pandemic, I, I talk about in real time for the second book, how hard it was for me to reestablish boundaries when we were all pushed back into the home. A lot of the way I had reestablished boundaries with Seth and Fair Play was the ability to be outside the home, to actually physically leave to work in cafes, to uh, spend time in libraries. I love libraries as a place to work. Um, and then to be forced back into the home where those assumptions were starting to linger again. Well, you're the one closest to the kitchen, so you should make the lunch for the kids. So understanding that even for a couple that has been steeped in fair play because we're the original beta tester, reestablishing boundaries during a pandemic was hard at first and the permission to be unavailable from our roles as women becomes even harder if if a child is outside your door because you have to physically close that door and, and say I'm not available to you right now and we've been taught since birth that part of our identity as women is to be available and so we had to confront that and I think that that was made it extra important for me in this book that I wrote during a pandemic to understand that even if I couldn't go somewhere physically, that I deserved the permission to be unavailable for my roles. That was the space in my head that I had to remind myself, especially when everything, the space-time continuum was collapsing. Yeah, boundaries have been challenging for, I guess, everyone in this time, right? Like, I struggle with establishing boundary around like, okay, this is my work day. I am at home, but this is still my work day. Yes. Right. And then also, I would say for you, the opposite too, you know, to, to know that you are allowed to have a work day that ends. Yeah. Yeah. That that you're allowed to have, <laughs> let it, you know, let it end, uh, complete your day, celebrate your wins. And as much as you create what you do, and you do a beautiful job of creating, celebrate those wins to say, you know, I want to look back and I did that. I think that's the beauty of the when I asked people to give me a phrase that summed up how they felt after a unicorn space event. So a cycle of curiosity, connection, and completion, whether it's 11 questions, uh, someone skiing a slope again after they hadn't in a while, or even crocheting a Harry Potter doll. Um, a lot of people say the feeling is, I can't believe I just did that. Or looking back and being like, wow, I did that. That pride and that self-worth in these experiences is the feeling that I want to, I really want all of us to, to be able to feel at least, you know, not on a daily basis, but hopefully at least in a consistent basis so that that feeling of, I can't believe I just did that becomes something that we recognize. Yeah, that's definitely a great reminder for all of us. Wins are something we overlook and failures are something we highlight. Yes. Just, you know, somehow naturally we all do that. I, I love that quote. I love that. Wins, I'll, I'll repeat you to you. Wins are something we overlook and failures are something we highlight. I think that's really important that we do that, but the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this feels like a win. Somebody quoted me. <laughs> 
you didn't know you were going to be a writer, but you used your passion, your activism to write this book and to help others. What are challenges that you face putting thoughts to paper? That's such a good question. For me, if I don't know where something goes, it will nag at me. So the most important thing for me as a, a writer or someone who wants to make arguments and communicate ideas is outlining. <laughs> it's really important to me to understand the frameworks for how I need to communicate something. And once I have that framework, it becomes so much easier. So when I start to see that the formula for thriving for people in the pandemic who are dancing in the rain as opposed to drowning in it was a trifecta of boundaries, systems, and communication. It allowed me to be able to take that data of what I was seeing and say, oh, that's how someone's establishing a boundary. Oh, that's someone implementing a system like fair play or another system of structured decision-making. Oh, that's a form of communication, even if they don't recognize it as such. It doesn't mean I preordain what I'm seeing, but when I can find patterns, what sociologists call a saturation point, where you start hearing enough that it becomes a pattern, then for me, the next step is really understanding the framework of how I want to communicate that pattern. And once I have that framework, everything usually falls into place. But until I have a framework, uh, it's really hard. I, I, I sort of become obsessed with figuring out how do I want to communicate the patterns that I'm seeing? So I don't, I, I don't like that phase so much. I like when I figure <laughs> out how the framework works, that I have enough data, a saturation point to see how things are playing out because then it's much easier to write. Um, when you're living in the moment of collecting data, things can feel all over the place. And it's until you can organize it, I feel like, how am I ever going to put this into you know, co cogent thoughts? If someone wants to start writing, what's one piece of advice you would share? A creative life is a connected life. So I'll give you a quiz because this is where I think you can start. So this is a quiz out of unicorn space and it's important and it doesn't get talked about enough. A lot of the unicorn space stuff has been so great, but this is sort of the hidden chapter that I love that we don't really talk about as much. So we can talk about it here. Right, I'm going to give you a quote. I'm going to give you a quiz. And what's fun about this is it is about starting with how you want to share with the world. So instead of talking about how you want to necessarily be creative in and of itself, this is a quiz that allows you to understand why you're sharing yourself with the world, which then allows you to hold on to that motivation to make things more meaningful. So this is a quiz. If you had an uninterrupted afternoon free to pursue the thing you love to do, in which environment would you most likely be doing it? Don't take it too literally. Just think about the vibe of each of these. Would you A, be at a craft store taking an archival scrapbooking class with your sister? B, meeting your training buddy for your Sunday long run? C, building communal art with your burning man buddies? D, communing with your spiritual community or leading a support group? E, mentoring eight-year-olds in the hockey rink? F, submitting early drafts of your memoir to your writing group for the first time, yay. G, organizing a Save the Sea Lions beach cleanup. Or H, practicing for the company talent show because guess what? You can sing and nobody knew. I think it would be F for me. Submitting early drafts of your memoir to your writing group. Yeah. I would have picked that for you, of course. <laughs> now, the beauty of that one is that's 
a combination of two important motivations for sharing yourself with the world. That's what I call the sounding board share, which understands the importance of improvement through community and feedback. So you're not solo and alone. And also the accountability share, which is showing up and supporting others, which means that you get pleasure in accountability. So the idea that the writing group becomes a community where you can be accountable to them for producing something and then they can be accountable to you. So understanding the beauty of a community as a place to be accountable to each other and a place to be able to get critical feedback and share yourself in a vulnerable way. Then when you understand that about yourself, then so many different creative pursuits can fill into that. So this could be a creative pursuit saying, well, I'm going to use this also to get feedback. I'm going to allow people who listen to my podcast to be a part of my accountability group that I want them to share their morning pages with me. And so I think often when I think about creative pursuits and where you start, it's often with the motivation for why you want to share yourself with the world. And again, I would think about that, you know, this is like a a writing group for people, you know, they get to come on here, they get to reflect on their creativity and listen to other people's. Everybody has a different process, but you get to help people hear about other people's processes, which I think is so beautiful. Yeah. And I think there's also a little bit selfish in there because. Great. But that's good. I'm gaining from every person I meet. (laughs) You also know that I'm a big reader. No surprise there. So I have to ask a book related question. If you are to be deserted on an island with only three books, which three books would you take? Oh my God, that's so important and a beautiful question. I'd say like the whole anthology of bell hooks. Um, I'm not sure which book I would necessarily pick. Um, Probably her work around masculinity. I would also probably say a new book by Suleika Johad called Between Two Kingdoms, because it's such a beautiful book around the importance of creativity in times of extreme disruption. And so whether you're on a deserted island because you want to be or not, it's probably disruptive in some good way. (laughs) And she talks about that and uh, her room right now, she's going through another round of uh, cancer treatment, chemo, chemotherapy and a bone marrow transplant. But her work is about, again, how creativity helps you through these really tough times and constraints. And then I'd probably say... um, all of Agatha Christie's books. <laughs> I'm a huge murder mystery fan. And again, not one in particular, everything, everything Agatha, I would bring with me as well. Yeah, those will be good books to keep you company also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now for our last question. If you were to pick one interesting life experience to share with us, what would you tell us today? I guess one experience that many people don't know about me is I was on The Amazing Race which is that show where you go around the world. Um, we got eliminated fourth in the season three. So it was a long time ago. Um, I jumped out of a plane and I'm so afraid of flying. Doesn't mean I, I'm still not afraid of flying, but it does mean that sometimes those experiences you have from a long time ago do become experiences that people can't take away from you. And you can recall them by saying, I'm scared now. But I shouldn't be because I jumped out of a plane. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes when I get on a stage or I'm really scared, um, I say, okay, yeah, but I I jumped out of a plane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't beat that. (laughs) 
Thank you so much Eve, for sharing. Well, that thank you. I'm going to give you a big hug and I will see you um, hopefully really soon. Thank you so much for being a guest. It was lovely talking Bye. to you. Bye. Bye. Good to see you. Bye.